Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. Today, I'm flying solo, and I have with me as a returning guest, Val Karpov. How you doing, Val? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Steve? Good. Doing good. Enjoying some nice, warm, sunny weather here uh, without the humidity up here in the Portland area. Probably a little drier than what you're getting down there in, in Florida. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a surprisingly dry summer here, but we did get some rain this week, which is good. Don't want to drive in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that means right. one fire is excessive heat and not good things. <laughs> not good things. Yes, of course. So, hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Val is probably most well-known, I guess, for being the maintainer of Mongoose. I think that's safe to say your claim to fame, other than being just a JavaScript guru in general. And Mongoose, <laughs> for those you don't know, is a Node.js driver for MongoDB database. What else? Where are you working now? What are you doing now? Oh, I do freelance contracting. Um, I work primarily on Mongoose. Um, I also do uh, web development for some clients with Mongoose and Vue. Right. And he also maintains the Mastering JS website and yeah. newsletter that I am a subscriber to. Good stuff. Good stuff. So check that out. Mastering JS. We'll put that in, in the show notes for sure. So we talked... A couple months ago, I think. I forget when exactly it was. Too lazy to look it up. What did we talk about last time? Now I'm brain farting all of a sudden. Oh, yes. We talked about his book on promises and async await. Right. We talked about that. And there was a couple things that uh, we had mentioned during that episode that we thought we would continue to talk on and a few other things we want to talk about. So sort of a potluck episode today. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is provide and inject in Vue 3. These are some new features that are, I guess you could say, yeah, it's a way to send props, right, directly to a component without prop drilling. And that's the first line of his article on Mastering JS about using provided inject. So can you uh, give us a little description of what it is and how it works? And most importantly, why it's good? Yeah. So provided inject is kind of like long distance passing of a prop. So if a component provides a particular prop, like you call view.provide or list provides in, in the component definition, any subcomponent can in any component underneath that component can then inject that prop. So you don't explicitly have to pass that prop down. So like prop drilling, the problem there is, okay, let's say you need access to, let's say at the top level component, you have like a user object that contains like, okay, username, user email, whatnot. And you need, and then you have a component four layers down that needs that user object. 
So now you need to say, okay, like a top-level component needs to pass user down to uh, component B, B needs to pass it down to C, C needs to pass it down to D. Now that gets really annoying real quick. You want to add new features down the stack, just gets annoying. Now uh, with provide and inject, the top-level component can provide user. The, uh, the component D can inject the user and on components B, C, D, or A, B, C in between don't have to know about user at all. So this has always been the use case, uh, at least with Vue 2, and in the past for bringing in something like Vue X, right? Where that as your uh, the size of your app grows and you get more and more components and you don't want to pass from A to B and B to C, then this is where Vue X and state management comes into place. So is it, first, first clarification question though is, even with provide and inject, there has to be a direct hierarchy, right? So in other words, if I have A, B, C, and D, B has to be from A, C has to depend from B, D has to has to descend from C, right? Sort of a direct line as compared to A imports B, B imports C, but D is somewhere else outside of A. That won't necessarily work there, will it or will it? You don't need to explicitly import, but the thing is, is that like, the component that uses user needs to be a descendant of the of a component that provides user. It does need that to make sense. Yeah. Okay. So it can't be. So in other words, with UX, you know, you you could have your your variables defined in state, and it can be anywhere in your app, right? Yeah. Uh, with provide and inject, it has to be sort of a direct linear descendant. We're not direct, but somewhere in the in the hierarchy below A. Yeah. But the way that I typically do things is, again, um, at the very top level, like the top level component, the app component, that basically provides everything that you can then access down the uh, down the stack or down the component tree. Okay. Right. So like, I don't really use like intermediate providing like uh, intermediate providers. Usually it's just like, okay, the top level app provides a bunch of things that individual components can then inject or sometimes just one thing. So like one thing uh, for kind of like smaller applications, what I end up doing is like top level app just provides like, a property called state that pretty much every component injects and can either read or write state. Okay. So so we so we've established that you can define a property at the top of a hierarchy or somewhere above where it's needed and then just inject it somewhere below without yeah. having to go through each one. Now going back to Vuex, you got you know, using things like map getters, map actions, map state, at least in Vue 2, you know, you can make things reactive in the template. So you can you can do the same thing with provide and inject, correct? Yes, because you can pass down a um, a instance of view.reactive. Have you used like the view.reactive function before? I personally, no, haven't had much opportunity to use it yet, unfortunately. But I mean, I've seen and read about it, so yeah, uh, yeah. but and haven't had a chance to use it. It's something that's like kind of like an exciting new addition in Vue 3. The idea behind Vue.reactive is like that basically you pass in a object to view reactive, dot reactive, and you get out like a fully reactive object that you can modify, updates, use in templates, and it kind of just works. In the sense that, like, okay, um, let's say I have a user object at the top level um, that's that I pass through view.reactive. So, like, let's say I have, uh, I call view.reactive on name is Val or name is Steve, let's say. And then, um, and then I provide that, uh, that user 
um, property. And somewhere way down the tree, some component changes uh, user.name from Steve to Steve E. That also will affect the templates in the top level component or any other templates that injects the or any other component whose template injects user. So, you know, you say you have like a navbar component that displays your name like user.name, and then somewhere down, you have like a separate component down the tree that lets you update your name. That component doesn't really need to do anything in terms of like no actions, no commits, nothing. Just, you know, state that uh, user.name equals equals Stevie, and that affects the navbar, that updates the navbar template. So it'll, your navbar template will display Steve E as opposed to Steve. That almost seems sort of dangerous. Yeah, I mean... Where anything could update something somewhere and you could run into unexpected yeah. unexpected changes, you know, so... Yeah, I mean, it's a bit dangerous and some people would uh, would call that playing fast and loose, but on the other hand, that's how <laughs> I do software development. So, I mean, I, I tend to kind of want to, like... As you're speaking with Mishko this week on JavaScript Jabber, right? Yeah, we did yesterday. Yeah. As of this recording, we recorded yesterday, yes. Despite the fact that I interned under Mishko like 15 years ago, I have like very different, like he and I are kind of on like opposite sides of this where like I try to like remove as much friction in the development process as possible. And for me, like being able to update like, okay, user.name somewhere all the way down the tree is like, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that like kind of like lets you be productive and solve a problem quickly and easily and let you get on to moving, uh, moving on to the next thing as opposed mm-hmm. to kind of dealing with uh, dealing with kind of like, you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's with like a UX type thing. And it also isn't, it isn't that you can't like monitor these updates because again, Vue does have like this, um, there's like an updated hook in uh, in view right where like every time the uh, every time the state changes you can uh, you can still um you can like print out where you can print out the state change and you can mm-hmm. throw in new error dot stack to see where it came from right mm-hmm. so in theory like that is see like in theory it's not that bad in the sense that you're you know you have like stuff happening that you can't um inspect what's going on mm-hmm. can still inspect what's going on it's just more convenient and requires less, um, well, requires less boilerplate. Like, um, what makes me really excited about this was like, let's go back like five or six years when I was doing a lot of React and Angular 2 work. And I just always found it so frustrating where I'm just like, okay, like, uh, in Angular 2, we have like these, we'd have like these pretty complex, like, um, component files where it was like, okay, you have a navbar component. There's like navbar.actions.ts bar.reducers.ts, action creators.ts, some ngrx stuff. So it got to the stage where I'm like, just to wire up one silly little button that just sends one silly little HTTP request, I need to like change six different files and change them in exactly the right way. Otherwise, I get some unreadable error. So that's the kind of thing that I try to avoid. And uh, that's why I like have this pattern of creating a reactive object and just kind of passing it around so I can update state wherever. Yeah, I can see how that certainly increases your flexibility. I'm just, I'm, I guess I lean in the dichotomy between you and, and Mishko on this, the way you describe it. I would probably be slightly towards Mishko, <laughs> you know, <laughs> from center. You know, there's different use cases, but uh, I guess, I guess 
you know, if there's ways that you can catch and, and avoid errors, then, then for sure. Quick question. So I'm looking at the view docs on provide and inject. And you mentioned that your normal workflow or, or pattern is to put something at the top level in your top level component of a hierarchy of the given hierarchy and then make it available yeah, via yeah. inject from there below. But it looks like you can also do this at the app level. So you can do stuff in a component for everything below, but you can also, if you want to, do it at the app level and make it globally available. Yeah, that would like be a neat thing to do. I guess like what I usually do is provide it at just like the top level component. Like I have like an app component that just stores everything. So that's where I would, uh, so that's where I would normally put provide and inject. But I guess I could put it on the app too. I don't know. I must admit to not being as comfortable working with like the, like the return value of view.create app mm-hmm. as I could be. So I just try to, uh, minimize doing anything there. But I, maybe. right, right. I was just pointing, yeah, this, that the option exists in the docs for those who would like to do it. As it says, app level provides are available to all components rendered in the app. This is especially useful when writing plugins as plugins typically wouldn't be able to provide values using components. Yeah. It's a little bit beyond, beyond my comprehension there, but I'll put it out there for listeners to <laughs> investigate on their own. Yeah, I was still like, writing a view plugin is not something that I've ever really done. So I mm-hmm. uh, I can't say I'm an expert on that. All I kind of know is like, oh, provide and inject seems to work great in my experience. So, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm going to talk about it. You know, I always, of course, take what I say with a grain of salt. You know, I'm not a not officially affiliated with Vue. This is just kind of the way I do things, and it seems to work sure. now. <laughs> sure, and you can do things like similar to props. You can do default values. You know, so if something's missing, you can say, okay, if it's not here, give it this value. You know, to make sure you don't get a runtime error or some sort of error. And you can even alias your values. There's numbers of things you can do with provide and inject for sure. So yeah, we'll put a link. I will put a link to the uh, the Vue docs. View three on provide and inject for your reading pleasure. Anything else you wanted to cover on provide and inject before we move on? Um, let's see. Nothing in particular. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Just works really well with view dot reactive. Lots of good stuff you can do there. I guess um kind of. I guess like I only talked about like passing like one like one reactive state property. But one thing I off I end up doing as well is kind of like breaking up that state property. So uh, into kind of like smaller to smaller components for uh, for larger apps. So things like, okay, like I store like the auth state as like a separate thing that you can inject and you can kind of break up like the one monolithic state into kind of like smaller substates. Like I have like I have an app where I'm like, okay, I provide like um, I provide an auth state, like a search results state, things like that, and things that um, the component uh, that the chat components can then um, can then pull in using inject. So, like that kind of helps make um, well, helps make the monolithic state a little bit more manageable sometimes. Well, okay, so provide is just one you know method that you call in your parent. So you just have like yeah. when you say you break it up. So you're talking about an object with oh, different key yeah. values. Uh, no, you can provide multiple values. So like um, I provide auth. Auth is a uh, is a reactive view object. I provide search results. Search results is a reactive view object. Okay, so you can have multiple instances of the provide method inside. Yeah, your- yeah. You can provide arbitrarily many things and inject them wherever you want. But they have to be have their own return statements from provide. What do you mean? Is that true? Well, uh, so I'm, for instance, I'm looking at your blog post here and you got your high grandma yeah. example, right? So you've got in your view create app, you've got provide and then that returns object with a key of state and a value of high grandma, right? 
So if you wanted to return multiple values, as you were talking about, would those be like, yeah. you're still returning only one object with different keys within that object or different instances of the provide method? No, you would return, you would return different keys, but that is, that syntax is a little strange. I don't really use that syntax very much. If you scroll down to the second code example, you'll see something a little bit better where you see it's calling view.provide. Just you see kind of like this is like the more composition API way of doing things where instead of like having a provide property on your app or component, you have, you call view.provide within your app or component within the setup function. Mm-hmm. Um, the second example, yeah, that second example is a little bit better where it's like, okay, view.provide state, comma state. Right. That's kind of how, uh, that's how I do things for like smaller apps. For larger apps, sometimes I provide like multiple like subsections of state where like provide auth, which contains like, okay, is the user logged in? Who's the logged in user? Things like that. Provide search results, which contains like, okay, you know, what, uh, what results do I have? What parameters were, uh, what, you know, what were people searching for? Those are a couple of examples. Hmm. Okay. So, and this, this is the row your boat. Yeah. The row, uh, row your boat example. Example in, in his blog post. Yeah. Right inject. Well, you'll see like click the add button adds more rows. But the, uh, but the thing, but the interesting thing about this example is you see how like the grandchild injects state. And right. then, um, yeah, that's where, uh, that's kind of where provider inject comes in where like the top level component has like this state uh, property that it provides down the tree. So then any child can access state. Okay. Yep, yep. It, visually, it makes a little more sense. Definitely have to play with yeah, it. Yeah, it's hard to. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, it's like it's hard to talk about code and describe it in a Mouth way coding. that makes sense. Mouth coding is uh, is tough. It's a skill that I don't think I have fully mastered yet, but I'm uh, I'm working on it. Cool. Alrighty. So with that, mouth coding of provide and inject, we'll move on. And we're going to talk about what are testing view apps with server side rendering in Cheerio. Yeah, no, we're not talking about cereal. That's Cheerios. This is Cheerio, like the greeting Cheerio. I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. At least I think so. I can't speak speak for Matt Mueller, the original author. Oh, okay. <laughs> so tell us about this. Uh, this is new to me once you brought it to my attention. So I'm just curious to see how this library works. Yeah. Oh, Cheerio is the idea behind Cheerio is like you give it an HTML string, and then you can basically do kind of like jQuery style. Uh, selectors on that string. Now, the idea behind using that Cheerio for testing is like you can now kind of like test a view component in Node.js without actually rendering it in the browser. It's like when you when it comes to like rendering something in a browser that comes with like some that comes with more operational headache, right? Like most likely you would run like most likely you would have to ship your code into like a puppeteer instance or a playwright instance or do something with Karma, um, all these tools for kind of controlling real life browsers or do something with JS DOM. I'm not a huge fan of JS DOM, but like where uh, where Cheerio and Vue server side rendering come in is like Vue work. Vue surprisingly works very well in Node, just without any uh, without any extra additions. Like if you uh, if you do if you require Vue in Node and define a component, you can just render that component in Vue and render it as a string. So like uh, in Vue three, what happened? There's like you can require in Vue slash server renderer. And that basically will take in like a view app and render it to a string in node. So now like you can basically take the current state of a view component and uh, render it as an HTML string, pass it into Cheerio and query to make sure like, okay, the, 
I have a V4 that's doing that goes over like a bunch of, um, let's say, goes over a list of users. So now I can use Cheerio to be like, okay, I'm going to assert that there are three allies in this um, that have this particular class in this string output or in this HTML string that view server render plugged out. So like it's testing, but testing like uh, that view is outputting the correct HTML. If that makes sense. Right. So this is what you would call more, is this sort of a comparison to something like Jest in terms of testing or is this different? I Like you could probably use this pattern in Jest, but I don't know. I really dislike Jest. <laughs> I mean, you know. Run, uh, he doesn't say that in Jest. Uh, anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I don't Jest. I just don't recommend anyone ever use Jest for any reason. Maybe, oh, okay. maybe fine if you like, if you're just doing like some very like dedicated front end stuff where it makes sense. But like, Honestly, uh, always a mistake to use just the test node app, apps. So I guess like we're talking views on view. So like, you know, can't speak for like uh, using just the test view applications. But in my humble opinion, if you're uh, if you're using just the test node code, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've used just before in a previous place and it was already set up when I took over the app. But it was, you know, more, what do you call it? Functional testing, unit testing of the view view code this seems a, i don't know is this so Cheerio, is you're testing your the structure of your html and not so much the output of your template uh yeah you're testing kind of the uh the structure of the html so like you know you're you're thinking about your app as something that outputs an html state or like just html and you think mm-hmm. and you have the html as a string and you're asserting that the string has kind of the uh, the correct elements if that makes sense Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and, in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships, and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Right. Okay. So you're testing it, but you're not doing it with a browser. You're not having to spin up a browser and, and, Make sure that everything looks pretty. That's more along the lines, excuse me, more yeah. along the lines of like a Cypress or a Dusk. Dusk is what I deal with on a regular yeah, yeah. basis. Where you're pushing buttons like, and testing UI components. I believe that's like, is that what they call snapshot testing? No, not so much snapshot as end to end testing. I don't think it's snap. Snapshot is more like now snapshot testing. The way I envision is more from a design standpoint, where you get a screenshot of a page and you want to okay, this is in the right place, and this is here, and this is here, and this is here. You haven't really changed the output where the end end that I'm talking about is. Do your buttons work? Does it bring up this page? Do you get these values in a checkbox? Does this go away? You know that kind of stuff. So all kinds of testing. It's hard, hard to keep up with all of them. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it is hard to kind of keep up with, uh, with all the different testing patterns. And I mean, this testing pattern isn't like a like is doesn't solve all problems. I like it because it kind of lets me test like that things are rendering correctly or like approximately correctly mm-hmm. in a way that's like uh, fast and not very brittle. As my mm-hmm. experience, like I used to, I used to write like a lot of karma tests back 
like seven, eight years ago. And like what always happened with Carmel was just like, you know, I read him test flakes, timeouts, like, so I just kind of got burned out from, uh, from browser testing and just decided that like, I like the idea of running my tests like purely in, um, in node. So I don't have to worry about, okay, like spin up a full browser, you know, worry about timeouts and things going wrong. Like things just run quickly and without, uh, without as much issue hmm. if that makes sense yeah interesting so i'm reading through the the front page on the cheerio site cheerio.js.org and one of the points that it makes is that it's familiar syntax cheerio implements a subset of core jquery cheerio removes all the dom inconsistencies and browser cruft from the jquery library revealing its truly gorgeous api so you know jquery is still out there a lot and it seems to be on the downswing in terms of popularity for any of number of reasons probably the biggest which biggest of which is that a lot of the stuff that jquery did the browsers have implemented so the problems that jquery is trying to solve don't exist in a large case and there's you know there's other various issues with with it but what it's talking about here i found in a case a number of years ago when i was working on an app using the form.io platform and i've had travis on javascript jabber a couple times to talk about that but I had to navigate a ton XML, a particular uh, design app for large industrial vessels would generate a huge XML file. And I had to parse it and get, get all kinds of different data, specific data and import it into my app to allow for uh, project estimation, cost estimation. And jQuery is what I used you know, because it it worked really well to be able to navigate and, you know, children and parents and, you know, finding different elements and returning them and so on. So from a visual standpoint, I haven't used jQuery in a long time since I was last dealing with Drupal. But from a core API standpoint, it does have some really cool features that make it easy for navigating things like this, uh, XML, HTML, and and getting what you need. Yeah, it's, it's really neat. Although, I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel like Curio, like claiming that it I mean, it's like a jQuery-like, almost feels like a bit of a misnomer. It's like, you can also say that, you can also say that Cheerio kind of implement is like document.query selector, but for HTML strings, probably is like more correct. <laughs> was also pretty, uh, pretty correct. In the sense that like, okay, it lets you do exactly kind of what you said. I've like, use like, Query so like the selector syntax that jQuery made popular, and then like and then the browser implemented in things like document.querySelector use that same syntax to navigate um, an HTML string or an XML string for that matter, because I think technically HTML is is HTML a sub subset of XML, or is it the other way around? Or is it the other way around, or is it kind of different? So I think like the thing things like doc type tend to throw off like the exact relationships that i don't know <laughs> i'm not gonna pretend i know so well i mean it's not i don't think it's claiming to be like jquery i think it says it implements it yeah a subset of core jquery so i haven't looked at the code but i'm gonna it sounds like if you go in there you'd see it importing some specific parts of jquery i don't know i'd say kind of like one of the like the downsides of testing like the way that i do it is um interactions don't really work <laughs> or let's put let's put it this way so like you can't really do things like say click a button that's, right. that's not something you can really do in the browser however um i like to structure my apps in the sense that like okay like um a how to put it uh, like a button just calls a method basically so I, I don't test that clicking a button calls this particular method, but I test that calling that method on that component 
with this particular state gives me this particular HTML output, if that makes sense. Right. Like yeah, yeah. So you're by you're yeah. bypassing the UI triggers and just calling the code directly and, and then it's 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 basically unit testing is what it sounds like. You know, you're yeah, testing. Yeah. Do if I call this function, does it give me what I want? You know, regardless of how it's initiated from the UI. Yeah. In many ways it's like uh, it's like a unit test, depending on how you define what a unit test is, because that's a really uh, nuanced topic that we can talk about all day. But yeah, it's um yeah, you do stub out some like sometimes I do stub out like the uh, the back end side of things. Sometimes I have like ways to kind of like fake having a back end or like actually mm-hmm. kind of talk to a back end for those sort of tests. But, but yeah, the big downside is no interactions, but the big upside is uh, fast, reliable, and kind of, um, but yeah, fast, not brittle, and minimal setup in the sense that like, okay, um, if you write your apps in a way that mostly works for this already, then it's a neat pattern. You don't really need to do much other than like import view slash server renderer, and all of a sudden you can take a component or an app and uh, chug out the uh, chug out what the HTML would be if it was rendered in a browser. So it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you mentioned real quick mocking of APIs. That's one headache I've never really gotten good at. I know there's a bazillion different ways to to do them. You know, you can do it in Postman if you want to use a tool like that. There's JavaScript libraries that I've used in the past where you can, you know, mock up an API and then just call that. I know there's a number of tools. It's just one thing I've never really gotten good at. I always just use the real API if I can, <laughs> just because it's a lot easier. Yeah, sure. The automated test is a little bit trickier because then you need to spin up the API, right? And that adds sure. uh, that adds friction that may or may not be worth it depending on your use case. It also mm-hmm. makes the test slower. Right. So, like, yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. Testing and mock APIs, that's, we could probably talk for days about that. Yeah, that too. So, all right. Anything else about Cheerio and server-side view testing? Uh, well, I guess on a related note, we can talk about um, about using Vue to render email templates. Or we sure. can, uh, I guess that's something that I like to, uh, I also like to discuss is like, well, well right now I've, uh, I've switched to using Vue for, uh, for rendering server-side emails. So like, you know, like when someone like checks out something and then checks it back in, I send, when I send the receipt, that's, uh, that's a Vue template. Rather, it's sent through Mailgun, but I use Vue to generate the HTML. And like, it's actually really neat. I'm a huge fan, just because like, it makes it very easy to say, okay, I'm passing in, uh, I pass in some props. I have like a name for like the email template I'm trying to send. So like I, so when I say, uh, when I want to send the receipt email, what I do is I say like, okay, uh, you know, uh, send email string receipt. That's the name of the, uh, the template properties, a bunch of options, whatever. And then we have like a receipt.html file that basically contains like, okay, uh, how does, how does the receipt file look like? Oh, uh, I have a layout component that like renders the, uh, the kind of the boilerplate for the email. So, um, so like the header, the unsubscribe link, terms of service, whatever. And then, um, and then the particular details of the receipt all in view. So like V4 online items, all the neat things that you would expect to do in view. But done for, uh, but done on the server side for uh, for rendering HTML emails. So you're doing this from Node, obviously, right? So yeah. is that can is it similar to do something like that from other languages? Like you know, I deal with Laravel and PHP all day. Is that could you do something similar 
from like a PHP or is that JavaScript specific the way that you're utilizing the view templates? I think it's pretty JavaScript specific just because like I rely pretty heavily on the fact that view more or less runs in node. Okay. So, like, I can import view in node and use that to render a bunch of HTML or I like, could just kind of like create an app, pass in a, uh, pass in a template as an HTML string. And then, uh, okay, there, uh, there I have a, uh, I have something that I can render, basically. So, like, I'm not okay, sure. Yeah, that would make sense. I'm not sure you could do that in Laravel because, like, I mean, Vue doesn't run on PHP as far as I know. Right. Well, duh, that would sort of make sense, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, that's just where I live all day. So, my work. So, I'm just just curious. But yeah, that makes sense that you could you could only do it from from Node.js since it is JavaScript. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, that's similar to anything else with the templating language, right? You just, yeah. you know, here's my template I want to use. I mean, even if you're using Vue on the front end, that's what you're doing. Here's my data. My template renders it for me and and spits it out. Yeah. And that's kind of why what I think of Vue more as uh, like almost like a templating library or like a really good reactive templating library whether rather than as a framework right now. Or at least that's mm-hmm. kind of how I use it more right now. It's like... I use it for like rendering on back end. I use it for rendering on front end. I love how like I'm just able to just like use HTML and CSS and then just plug that into uh, plug that into view and then kind of like standardize all my templating on view because like I at previous roles we kind of had it so like okay on you know on front end we have like React code but on back end for email templating we're using some ungodly mixture of handlebars and pug and whatnot. <laughs> and it would be, uh, it would just be like, why, why can't I just have one templating language that mostly makes sense for all use cases? So I've decided that Vue is that templating language for me, and I'm just going to use it for just about everything that I, that, that I can. And in Vue's defense, like it does a pretty good job at all those things. So that's one of the things I love, mo- or what I really love most about Vue is kind of how like versatile it is. Like I can plug it into all sorts of different places and it mostly just works. Whereas like, I don't know, I remember like trying to go back six years, I tried to implement email templating in JSX, but there were issues with things like, I forget the exact issue, but I ran into some issue where I'm just like, okay, I can't, I can't do this. We're going back to handlebars, guys. <laughs> I have not, uh, I've been sending emails for years and uh, can't be, uh, can't be happier. So, okay, so the way you're talk, talking about using the view templates is basically the template portion of the view template within Node.js. So you're passing in, you know, whatever data you want to be passed in there. So, you know, the single file component has the template and it also has the script and style section isn't so obviously so relevant here. Maybe it is. But when you're doing it inside Node like that, are you, are you also using uh, JavaScript in the script section of a single file template, maybe for computed properties or some other feature in there? Or are you just using the template portion and, and you've, in Node, you've already generated all the text that you want to oh, be? No, I mean, you can, use, uh, you can use like computer properties and whatnot, and that works well as well. Um, however, I don't really use single file components for that. I just, I don't use single file components in general. Oh, okay. It's kind of like, you know, view.component in JavaScript as opposed to as a, opposed to a dot view file. And again, gotcha. like, it, okay. I guess that's one thing. That's another thing we were going to talk about is like the fact that I like to have like separate HTML and CSS files for my components. So like, you know, like if I have a navbar component on my front end, like the way that looks is like, okay, folder navbar. The navbar folder contains navbar.js, which contains the uh, the component definition, navbar.html, which contains the HTML template, 
and navbar.css, which contains the uh, the CSS. I do similar things on the on the. I do pretty much the same thing on the back end for emails with the uh, with the caveat that well, you know, inline CSS for emails, so no CSS files there. So your HTML file is just raw HTML, no V4s. Or, oh, I mean, obviously, it's just a, straight. It does have to have a V4. and It does use like V4 and VF and whatnot. Oh, inside your HTML templates? Yeah. yeah. And you just simple. So, okay, so you've got your .html file, your .js file, and your .css file, your yeah. styles, correctly? Okay. So from Node, you're calling the JS file which imports the HTML and the CSS and sort of generates one yeah. template. So the data is being passed into the JS file, right? And then some, when it calls the template, that's where it says, okay, this goes here, this goes here. Yeah, exactly. Hmm, okay. Yeah, so that's how things work on the back end. And this is, but this is where you're using your JS is using the view.component and then defining every, everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, you know, what, what I have is like a send email function that basically does like, okay, view.create app, Put in uh, put in the properties that passed or passed in as data. Yeah, either as data or as props. I forget exactly off the top of my head. But bottom line, uh, create an app, put the data into the app, pull the template from uh, pull the template that was passed in using like a fs.read file, and uh, yeah, send, uh, generate the HTML, send the email. Yeah, I guess the one the one thing that always makes me nervous about template strings like that and view.component and stuff is when you're dealing with quotes and making sure you know you got single quotes inside double quotes and you don't have double quotes and double quotes and and all the you know quoting of strings and making sure you don't have any errors is this where the the cheerio testing would come into play does it test this kind of stuff to make sure that everything is is being constructed properly and actually being output I mean, Cheerio would help with that, but honestly, right now, like, I don't have anything too sophisticated there. I just kind of like, okay, there's HTML. It seems to work, so I'm good. Also, like, syntax highlighting helps with that. And again, one of the neat things about using HTML for uh, for templating is like, um, well, just about every code editor has built-in support for HTML syntax highlighting, so I don't really need to do any extra work. Oh, right, okay. So, like, yeah, you know, you pull it up in GitHub, and GitHub will probably uh, will probably be like highlight places where you've got incorrect HTML syntax. And then again, there's also I'm sure there's like a bazillion linters out there that can like lint HTML for you. And I think like I could be wrong, but I would imagine it's like easier to like set up something that lints like plain old HTML files as opposed to something that like lints a USFC. But I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Yeah, this is one of those things that I'm going to have to sort of see, see how it works, because I'm trying to imagine in my head and my head is spinning. So but that happens all the time anyway. So <laughs> excellent. All right. I think we've covered everything we talked about covering, unless I'm incorrect. Uh, anything else you want to talk about real quick or that we've missed before we move on to picks? Uh, let me see here. What did we want to talk about? We didn't talk about, uh, we didn't talk about like um, how you import HTML on the front end. Yes, that would be good to know. That's, yeah, that's one topic you hear about. You know, I've heard mentioned frequently in other places, a frustration with the HTML spec is that you can't do that. You know, yeah. just straight HTML, unless there's been something slid in that I've missed recently. But, you know, the way frameworks do it all the time, import one component into another, and it would be nice to be able to do that with straight HTML. So how are you doing that? Uh, I mean, uh, Webpack and Webpack, well, Webpack 5 has like built-in support for pulling in kind of like assets as plain strings. So there is, um, let me pull, what was it again? Oh, yeah. And um, so like Webpack's config, like module.rules, 
you can tell uh, you can tell Webpack to pull in .html and .css files as what's called like type colon asset slash source, and that basically tells Webpack that like if I'm importing an HTML file, that uh, you should just give me that the contents of the HTML file as a plain old JavaScript string or a .css file, give me the contents as a string. So like if you're using Webpack for that, that just makes it about as easy as it can be. You just get like an HTML string and you plug it into Views template property, and that's you know, done. Easy, easy work. Easy peasy. Yeah, easy peasy. And then on Node, it's also kind of easy because there's Node has like this require dot extensions thing, which basically lets you very easily tell Node like, oh, if you require a dot txt file or a dot html file or a dot css file, just get me that as a string. So like just do fs dot read file sync. Mm-hmm. So that one. Uh, so yeah, it's surprisingly quite easy. And I wouldn't like I find it kind of surprising that other people don't do that as often. Just because like you know, a lot of advantages to using HTML and CSS files for templating. Um, most notably, at least in my experience, it's like much easier to just like hire someone who just is gonna like put together some HTML and CSS for you, and then you can kind of integrate that into your view application as opposed to kind of getting someone set up, just working with the entire uh, the entire front-end app. So like one of the things I often do is like, oh, I have, I put like, client asks for this new, uh, this new, like, uh, what you call it, this new page. Uh, the page is complicated. Okay, uh, I probably can just like, you know, throw it off to someone to do this HTML and CSS and then like kind of clean up the HTML and CSS and integrate it into view on the way back, as opposed right. to having someone go in and just uh, set up the entire view app, set up back end, set up seed script, make sure their entire dev environment is set up. So like, having HTML and CSS gives you like this neat little separation where you can say, okay, like now I'm just now this is just going to be an HTML and CSS land. And um, it doesn't have anything to do with view or the back end or anything. It's just uh, just pure design. And then once that comes back into the uh, comes back into the app, now we can do some stuff to integrate it, make it reactive, make it interactive, all that. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, one of the strengths of the view single file component, as I've seen mentioned, is that, you know, it is for the most part HTML, although you have custom components and stuff like that, that you could it's easier to give to a designer than maybe something in JSX. Right. Yeah. But yeah, for for someone like that, who's not familiar with JavaScript and just wants to make it look good, having base HTML certainly makes sense that it would be a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, it lets them do what they do well without having to get uh, get all set up with well the entire stack. Right, right. All right, excellent. Well, we've covered a decent amount of topics today in our short time. So thank you for coming on. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. With that, we will move to picks. Did you have anything to share with us? Uh, let's see. Oh, recently, I've, well, when I was on summer vacation recently, I was reading the uh, the new Will White novel that came out in July called Dread God. It's really good. It's uh, book 11 in the Cradle series. It's a very, very long series, but it's a lot of fun. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying it. So uh, it's kind of like my favorite thing to just read and relax on like a lazy Sunday afternoon. So, yeah. So what, what genre is that series? Is that like fantasy um, or science fiction or? Mostly fantasy with a little bit of sci-fi sprinkled in. Uh-huh. Like uh, it, I kind of joke that like uh, the Cradle Trilogy is just like a really long extended Naruto with like a little bit of space, uh, with a little bit of like space gods thrown in. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> you could kind of, yeah, it's. 
that's a pretty good summary of it. But no, I'm a, I'm a big fan. It's like a really compelling read. Good page turner. Good. Okay. For my picks, I haven't had anything really standing out that I wanted to talk to. I will say that I've been reading through just my son and I, my 11-year-old son, we read every night. And so we finished The Hobbit. And oh, uh, so now we are on to The Lord of the Rings. And so enjoying reading through that for sure. It's interesting. You know, I haven't read the books in, I don't know, 20 years, I think, Lord of the Rings, maybe a little less. It's been a long time. But I've seen the movies, like many people have, and, and uh, have them on DVD. And so I've watched them a few times. And it's interesting after seeing the movies and the movies that were a pretty good representation of the book. You know, I think that was one as compared to the Hobbit movies that he made after that, that were God awful. But uh, it's interesting to go back to the books and then realize a lot of the stuff that the book that the movies had to leave out and some of the other details like uh, in the first book, there's the whole interaction with Tom Bombadil, um, yeah. you know, the scouring of the Shire at the end and stuff but uh it's it's interesting it's fun reading them again especially with my son he's really into them you know we're pulling up interactive maps that there are on the web about you know middle earth third age of middle earth and where everything is just so you can sort of envision the journey and where they were traveling and stuff but uh, definitely fun reading through that again yeah that is really cool and i'm actually uh well when i started reading dread god i was about halfway through two towers because like i honestly have never finished reading uh the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So I'm like hoping to make oh, my really? like when I was fourteen I tried to read Fellowship. I got like two thirds of the way through, but I think like I was maybe like one or two years too young to really get into it. I think like if I had read it when I was sixteen I would have absolutely loved it. But at fourteen and thirteen I was like a it did really uh wasn't really as compelling. I did read The Hobbit and The Hobbit was great. Like yeah, now that I'm like halfway through the Two Towers novel, like I was pretty. One thing I was surprised about was like, like in the Two Towers movie, like uh, half of the movie was just the Battle of Helm's Deep, and like which was great. It was just, it was like really just amazing, like special effects and great to watch. But in the book, it just seemed like the Battle of Helm's Deep was like three pages, where it's just like, oh, and the orcs started attacking. And then it's like, oh, and then it's morning and the orcs have been defeated <laughs> three pages later. <laughs> I expected that to have like a little bit more beat on it, given <laughs> given like how much uh, weight it was given in the movies. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, I was like you. I, I did the exact same thing when I was probably early teens. Uh, I won't say how long ago that was, but uh, where I got about, you know, halfway through the Fellowship of the Ring and it was pretty slow and, you know, just didn't capture my attention for whatever reason. But then years later, probably in my 20s, I was in my 20s, I think, that I picked them up and read them. I remember getting so caught up in one of the particular battles, I think. I think it was in the Two Towers. I was uh, back then I would ride the bus, my bus into work in downtown Portland. And I remember missing my stop (laughs) a time or two because I was so engrossed in this book that that, uh, it kept me going. Now, in terms of movies, also, yeah, those some of you may remember there was a Hobbit movie made in 1977 and it's animated and it has a number of uh, actors. Orson Bean, I remember, was one of the the primary actors. He played either Gandalf or Bilbo. I don't remember. I have to look it up. And so my son and I went back and watched that. I dug it up on uh, like the Wayback Machine. I think you can get it on Amazon Prime too. But it's about an hour and twenty minutes. But it's some places it's pretty good, but some places it's really bad. <laughs> but it really condensed a lot of things, really skipped over a lot of things on uh, The Hobbit. But, you know, given the time and the technology that was available at the time, it's, it's not bad. It gives a pretty good overview of the story yeah, and how it, it all sounds like fun. I want to I wanna check that out. And I'm excited for when my daughter gets old enough to read uh, to read books like that. Right now, I'm uh, 
right now she's just gotten to the stage where she appreciates Blair's spot. Or like she always, just, <laughs> you know, she's finally gotten old enough where she like she realizes that like when I open the flap and say no, she just laughs every single time. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> so I am C spot, uh, C spot, run, run, spot, run. I know, like where's spot is just like where's spot. He's uh, he hasn't finished his supper. Is he in the cupboard? No. <laughs> and uh, my, every time I open up a flap and say no, my daughter just loses her mind laughing. It makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and the simple games like Candyland, right, or or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, on to the dad jokes of the week. These are, I know for for some people, the absolute highlight of of any of my podcast episodes, but they're still good. So when I was young, I was poor. But after years of struggle, I'm no longer young. Thank you. You know, a lot of people always talk about side hustles or, you know, ways to make money outside of the regular work and so on. And so, you know, investing is a common like stock market investing. Some people will play in that. So I've started investing in stocks. First, I invested in chicken and then beef, now vegetable. So despite the potential risk, I believe one day I will be a bullionaire. And then finally, sometimes I think about inventing things just to try something new to help people out, sort of like software, you know, you scratch in it, you put something out there and people like it. And so I decided I wanted to create a product that's a combination of things. It is a laxative, but it also contains Advil for the pain. I'll call it I'd be pooping. <laughs> uh, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, man. You had a great tweet the uh, couple of days ago that was, um, let's see, what was it? I'm working on my second million. The first one didn't work out so well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's a good one. That was another fine sense one that I thought was great. <laughs> yeah, and that's true. I'm, I am working on my second million. I gave up on the first one a long time ago. <laughs> right, All right. With that, we will wrap it up for this week. Thank you, Bal, for coming on yet again and enlightening us with your knowledge. Where can people get a hold of you if they want to uh, hear your wisdom or give you money or something like that? Oh, yeah, thanks for having me, Steve. Yeah, if you can find me on uh, masteringjs.io. I'm on GitHub as well, vcarpov15. And on Twitter, I am at code underscore barbarian. And me, myself, and I, I am wonder95. Uh, you can find me there on Twitter and GitHub and just about anywhere else, really. That's my, my name from many moons ago. Thank you again, Val, for coming on. And we will talk to everybody next time on Views on View. Yeah. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.